Oh, it is good to be here. It's such an honor to be here at Calvary Baptist Church. Uh, I was just telling uh, somebody out in the hallway that, that this church has been such a uh, cornerstone in our community for a long time. And it's just an honor to be here and share the same pulpit that, that Tom, Tom Townsend preached in, that Brian Spencer preached in. And uh, just what an honor to be a part of that uh, history. Now, if we would, let's just pray for a minute. Uh, Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, because this message is about you. It's about what you have done. It's about what you have done in the world and in our lives, Lord. So may you be the one that was glorified today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, would you stand with me? And we're going to read through Psalm 8. It's my understanding you have been in the book of Psalms, and uh, so we're going to read through Psalm 8 today. I think we have it up. Yes, okay. O Lord, our Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims in the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Let's say that last line together. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Wonderful. Thank you. You may be seated. I appreciate that. What a great psalm. What a great psalm. You know, uh, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's not a song by Sandy Patty. It's Psalm 8, and it's uh, first a quick history lesson on this, on this particular section in Psalms. As the book of Psalms begins, it starts with chapters 1 and 2, which are basically just an introduction to the rest of the book of Psalms. Then there are five Psalms, Psalms 3 through 7, that tell us how King David is hiding from his enemies. And while he's hiding, David cries out to God. He, just, he cries out to deliver him from all the evil that is pursuing him. David, mainly just David's scared. You ever been there? He's just scared. And he feels vulnerable. And the one constant in his life is fear. It's the one constant in his life. Then on the other side of Psalm 8 are five more psalms, chapters 9 through 13. I had to do my math here real quick. Okay, yeah, 9 through 13. That's 5, okay? But reading through this portion of Scripture, you can almost feel David's misery and, and his, the sense of despair and hopelessness that just has a grip on his heart. But right in the middle of all this despair and confusion and pain and suffering that David's going through, right in the middle of it, he writes a hymn. Psalm 8 is a hymn. 
So uh, Psalm 8's kind of bookended on either side by, uh, you know, these, these uh, verses of, it basically comes from David's journal. It's, he's journaling about his pain and confusion. And right in the middle of all this doom and gloom, David writes this magnificent hymn, declaring God's greatness. All right, so what makes that important for us today? Well, today is Palm Sunday, as John said, and Psalm 8 would have been one of the hymns of praise that the Jews would have been singing when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the, on the colt. Uh, they'd have been shouting hosannas and singing praises before God, and, and Psalm 8 was one of those songs that they would have been singing at that time. You know, at the, at the, and at that moment on Palm Sunday was like the, the, the greatest day ever in Jewish history. They, they were just convinced that Jesus was going to restore Israel to its greatness, former greatness that it had under King David. And they could, they could, that thought just made them so excited they could hardly contain themselves. And for the Jewish person, this is like just the greatest moment in their history. So how about you? How about you? Let's just sidetrack for a minute. What, what is a, like the greatest moment in your life? Think about that for a second. I mean, for me personally, certainly the day I got married would be, that would be like one of the greatest days ever. I mean, Linda was just so, she was just so beautiful standing up there beside me. And I just, I mean, I could hardly believe that this smart, beautiful girl was consenting to marry me. I mean, she got a doofus on her hands for the rest of her life, but which, you know, kind of shows her good heart. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I, I just could hardly believe my good fortune. And, and naturally, I've got four kids. Each one of the, each day that they were born, each one of those days was like the greatest moment in uh, my life. I had, I had no idea how much work it was going to be, but at that moment, I was pretty excited <laughs> until I had to change diapers. Yeah. You know, but what about you? What about you? What kind of defining moments have you had in your life? Okay? Let's just pause for a minute because I want you to think about something else, too. Have you ever thought about what might be God's greatest God's greatest moment. I mean, to, really to answer that, we have, to, we have to go back to the creation. I mean, the uh, Bible tells us in beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and it was dark, and, and God just said, he just spoke, let there be light. And there was light. He just spoke it into existence, and it happened. You know, with a wave of his hand, God separated the waters and the land, and he created masses of land, and then he created the sky and the stars in the sky. Oh, how magnificent. And then he regulated time by, by uh, creating the sun and the moon, and thus in the day and the night, and cre thus creating time. And, and then he created all the birds of the air and, and the fish of the sea, as well as all kinds of animals. Surely, the creation of the world was God's finest moment. 
Maybe. Maybe not. You know, because after that, God made mankind. He took a lump of clay, and he formed it into man, and then he breathed life into it. And then he put man in charge of the earth. And he created man with a brain and a heart and emotions and feelings, and he gave man the capacity to think and to reason. And then quickly realizing that man was kind of overwhelmed with all this thinking and reasoning, he created woman to help him out a little bit. So the creation of men and women and giving them the opportunity to work together, surely that was God's greatest moment. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Then we move to the New Testament and we see the virgin birth. I mean, God came as a human being to live amongst us so that he could feel what we feel and, and, and uh, see what we see. And surely this, this humanness by God himself, this love that he gave because he just wanted to be one of us, surely that love is God's greatest moment. Possibly. All right. Then we come to the cross. More than anything, the cross is God's symbol of how much he loves us. Wow. He submitted to torture and to scorn and to ridicule and the worst, worst, most awful kind of death possible. He bled and died for each one of us just for no other reason than he loved us and he wanted to make a way for us to be with God forever. It's just that simple. He did it because he loved us. And he loved us so much, that, and tells us in John 3, 16, he loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So surely the cross, the cross, and I appreciate that prayer, Brent, so much. What a great prayer. The cross must represent God's finest moment. Possibly. Then we come to the resurrection. The resurrection, this is the day that separates us from all other religions. I mean, they, they didn't kill Muhammad to have him rise three days later. They didn't kill Buddha to have him re- resurrected again. Uh, I mean, Mary Baker Eddy didn't come back from the dead. Neither did L. Ron Hubbard. I mean, only Jesus. Only Jesus. So how is that possible? It must have been a hoax, right? So just a a quick uh, apologetics. Well, there was a standing order for the Roman soldiers that anyone condemned to crucifixion was expected to be dead. They had a job to do. They were professional killers, and they did it well. And if they failed to do their job, then they had to pay for it with their own life. Now, there's a pretty big incentive to follow through and make sure Jesus was dead. I mean, how would you guys like it if... if, uh, your boss came up to you and gave you an assignment and said, if you don't do it, we're going to kill you. Okay, well, there's some incentive to, to uh, get the job done. And after the resurrection, there are over 500 written accounts, recorded accounts of Jesus first being dead and then walking around again. Now, and none of them, not one, there is not one writing that disputes 
Jesus' death and resurrection until well into the second century when all the eyewitnesses were already dead. They had to wait in order to start making up stories about that. Now, doesn't that strike you as just a bit odd that upwards of half a million people saw Jesus die and then saw him walking around again? Uh, Surely, I mean, surely, this is God's greatest, greatest moment. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Personally, I think maybe God's greatest moment was Saturday. Oh? <laughs> Saturday. Not Friday, not Sunday. See, all the events I've mentioned in the past, they're all, these are all wonderful events, and they show they're great demonstrations of God's magnificence and his power. But I think maybe Saturday might be the greatest day. The greatest day of all. Why do I say that? What happened on Saturday to make, uh, th- th- that makes it so important? The answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing. Say it again, y'all. All right. I love that song. All right. So what happened on Saturday that is so great? How did, how did that day, how does Saturday get on the list of God's greatest moments? I mean, It's because it's the day that God made everybody wait. He made everybody just wait. On Friday, Jesus' followers had all their plans, all their dreams, all their expectations blow up in their face. I mean, on Friday, we see the prevalence of evil in the world. On Friday, we see the great expense the expense of God's grace. On Friday, we see the ugliness of sin. Now, by contrast, Sunday's an exciting day. Sunday's a day of joy. I mean, uh, nobody saw Sunday coming. I mean, Sunday was a day when Jesus rose again of such unexpected, death-defying, grave-defeating, fear-destroying, joy-producing hope that the world still hangs on to it. Amen. Baptists are still shouting about it. Or I'm sorry, Pentecostals are still shouting about it. Baptists are still amening it. <laughs> All right. Episcopalians are still toasting it. And Presbyterians are still forming task forces to study it. So Christians all over the world are celebrating this great day, this great day of the resurrection. And if anyone, if anyone suffers from uh, uh, adversity or depression or is struggling with life, if you need, if you just need a little hope to cling to, then Sunday is your day. (laughs) But what about Saturday? How'd that get on the list of God's greatest moments? See, Saturday represents this interim period after a prayer gets prayed and before it gets answered. Saturday is the period of waiting after someone gets crushed down and before they get back up again. It's the day in between brokenness and healing. It's the, it's the day in, betwe- in between confusion and clarity. And for some odd reason, 
I think it might just be God's greatest moment. Because I say that because Saturday is the one day I think most of us can best relate to. You know, at the heart of Jesus' story, at the heart of human history, really, are these three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Friday and Sunday are so packed with action, we could, we could discuss those days forever. They're literally the two most studied days in the entire world. But today, our focus isn't on Good Friday or even Resurrection Sunday. Today, our focus is on Saturday because it's the day with no name. Sounds kind of like a Clint Eastwood movie, doesn't it? The man with no name, he rides into town. Does good, rides back out again. See, most preachers go through their whole careers and they never talk about Saturday. They usually say, well, what's to talk about? Nothing happened. Okay, okay, fair enough. Saturday is the day that they have great silence. So let's think for a minute what that day must have been like then for Jesus' followers. What must it have been like for Jesus' followers, the ones who saw him crucified and die on the cross, the ones who had been with him for three years of his ministry? You know, they wake up on Saturday morning, if they were even able to sleep at all, Friday night, and Jerusalem is quiet. You know, all the chaos of the day before, all the chaos is stopped. All the noise, all the yelling, all the accusations have stopped. They've, they've gathered quietly in the upper room, exhausted from the trauma of the day before. Uh, they probably spoke in tired voices, having been on no sleep, reminiscing about their days with Jesus. You know, they, uh, they probably talked about what it felt like to have Jesus look them in the eye and say, I want you, and you, and you to be my disciples. What a feeling that must have been. You know, for three years, they'd been exposed to the most exceptional teacher in human history. For three years, they'd been eyewitnesses to countless miracles. They each, each one of the disciples had the feeling they were going to change the world. So maybe on Saturday, on Saturday, they talked about what, what went wrong. What went wrong? I mean, they probably talked about how they had failed Jesus. Failed him so many times, especially in his last hours in, in the garden. And maybe, though none of them wanted to say it, maybe in their hearts they wrestled with the idea that Jesus had failed. What do you do? What do you do when you think Jesus has failed? They probably looked back and saw things they think they think Jesus should have done. They, you know, he probably should have recruited more volunteers and they probably think definitely he should have made nice with Rome and the and the leaders at the time probably what they're thinking, you know, and especially, they probably especially discussed Jesus' words on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because if God has forsaken the one person on earth closer to him than anyone else, 
the natural question is, where does that leave me? Where does that leave me? So for us today, Saturday represents the day when our best dreams have died, but we wake up the next day anyway. So with that thought in mind, why does that make Saturday such a great day? Uh, so what Saturday means is that we all have a beginning and an end, and we all have an in-between time, an in-between period. And that, you know, for our life's journeys, for our personal journeys, there's always that in-between stage of beginning and ending. And what we do with those moments, what we do with the, that time in between our failures and our successes is really what defines our life. How we handle that is what dictates our perspective. So even though there was silence on Saturday, what we need to understand is that God is still at work in the silences. He is still at work. He's still in control. Friday is the day everything hits us right between the eyes. Okay, That's the day we cry out to God, Oh, God, heal me. God, cure my addiction. God, help my child. God, God the rent is due and I have no money. That's the day we cry out in desperation. And on Saturday, there's just silence. It's just the day we have to process things. Saturday is the day our faith is tested. When was the last time you had your faith tested? Really tested? Okay. And what happens? When that happens, when that happens, what do we do? What do we do when our faith gets tested? Well, for most human beings, we have three options, okay? The first option is to just live in this constant state of despair, like Eeyore. Oh, woe is me. Life stinks. It's always going to stink. You know, when you despair, you decide that every day is going to be Friday. You know, it's interesting to note that there were people in the early Christian church who actually did this. They went this route, this route of despair. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 12. He said, how can you say, how can you say there is no resurrection of the dead? See, people were saying way, way back then, there is no hope. There's no hope. Sunday's never going to come. It's always going to be Friday. Get used to it. Don't get your hopes up. You know, it's a lot like being a Detroit Lions fan. You know, when you're a, when you're a Lions fan, every day is Friday. <laughs> That's despair. That's despair. And some people go that route. Here's another option, okay? Denial. First one is despair. Second one is denial. People who choose to live this way, it's, it's kind of a simple, they look for simplistic explanations or, or uh, easy, easy kinds of answers. You know, they live with this kind of artificial or, or forced optimism. You know, interestingly, there were people in the early church who went this route too. You know, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2.18, Some have wandered a ways from the faith, away from the truth. 
they teach that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. In other words, some people think it's already Sunday. So if you're having any problems, if you're in any pain, if you're just not getting the healing you've asked for, must be you just don't have enough faith then. This is the essence of the prosperity gospel. But rather than sink in despair, into despair or go into denial, there's a third option. It's the third option. You can just wait. You can just wait. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. You know, to wait for the Lord is an important thing, but it's often misunderstood. See, to wait for the Lord is, uh, it doesn't mean to be passive or inactive or even fatalistic. To wait for the Lord means this is a day to reflect and to think and to plan and, and uh, to pray. And Saturday, Saturday, while we're waiting, that's the day when we rest, kind of wrestle with God with all our questions. And, and Saturday is the day we seek God's will. Waiting is not necessarily a passive activity. And I'll tell you a little secret. I'll tell you a secret, okay? This is just between us. You can be with God on Saturday like you can be on no other day. You can be with him on Saturday like you can't be with him at any other time. Because when there is silence, when there are no distractions, you can commune with God like you can at no other time. Saturday is the day we learn to accept verses like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Saturday is the day that we are forced to think about what we believe and why we believe it. Chuck Colson said that the, the biggest weakness in America is that most people do not understand what they believe or why they believe it. You can do that on Saturday. So whatever your pain, whatever your pain, whatever your failure, whatever your regret, it's not the end. It's not the end. It's only Saturday, and deliverance is coming. Yeah. I love the part in the resurrection story when uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, when the women run to the tomb and they see the angel, and, and the angel tells them, he is risen. Wow, powerful words. He is risen. But they don't really fully understand it yet. So Matthew 28, 8, it says, Afraid, afraid, yet full of joy, they ran off to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Suddenly Jesus meets them. Greetings, he says. That's it. <laughs> I mean, this is so much like Jesus. It's, it's almost like he's saying, well, what'd you expect? <laughs> I told you I was going to do this. <laughs> Didn't you listen? So <laughs> suddenly Jesus meets them, and he just says, greetings. Greetings. I love that part. 
Jesus has just conquered death, risen from the grave, and you might wonder what profound explanation, what, what amazing statement will Jesus give us to explain this incredible moment in time? And all Jesus does is just say, hi. <laughs> you know, it's almost like he's just saying, well, what did you expect? So listen, whatever your disappointments, what, what, whatever your struggles, whatever your pain, whatever you are facing, whatever answers you don't have, whatever answers you just don't have, whatever is missing in your life, whatever confusions you have that you can't explain, whatever obstacles lie in front of you that you just feel like you cannot overcome, you need to know this. It's only Saturday. It's only Saturday, which means our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not fixed on our ability to solve problems. Our, our hope is not wrapped up in our financial resources. Our hope is not, does not lie in our cleverness or, or, our, or our creativity. Our hope is not in a 12-step program. Our hope is part of another world. Our hope is about what happened on Sunday. So don't you give up. Don't you give in. Don't you despair. Because the God of Friday's pain and suffering and the God of Saturday's hopelessness and despair is also the God of Sunday. Our stories, our stories are like his story. You know, we, we have our own struggles, our own stories of pain. We have our own stories of being surrounded by evil, just like David wrote in Psalm 8, surrounded by evil, fearful, vulnerable. We all have our own stories of that. And then he writes this magnificent hymn, giving God the glory right in between all of that. The Jews were celebrating on Palm Sunday before they actually knew what was going, going to happen. You know, they, uh, they were singing the praises of Psalm 8 about this magnificent God before they really understood the length and breadth of what they were praising God for, of what he was going to do. But we can celebrate today because we know what happened. We know what's coming. So what is God's greatest day? What is God's greatest day? Was it, is it the creation? Is it the virgin birth? Is it, is, is it the crucifixion? Is it Saturday, this day of waiting in between? Or is it Sunday, the resurrection that separates us from all other re religions? What is God's greatest day? You know, these are all great days, but I think, in my opinion, God's greatest day was August the 17th. 1972, because that's the day I fell to my knees in front of a TV set after watching a Billy Graham crusade, and I accepted Christ into my life. And from that point on, Christ went from being this kind of spiritual thing to being personal, to being a personal relationship. This magnificent God who created all the, all the earth, who, uh, who went to the cross, who was resurrected again. This magnificent God became my God, personal God, a God I can talk to and have a relationship with. It's the day I went from being messed up, <laughs> clinical term, we use that a lot in counseling, you're messed up, I was messed up. 
It's the day I went from being messed up and feeling lost to finally having some direction in my life. It's the day when all the pain and confusion of this world took a backseat to the joy of a personal relationship with the Lord, our Lord, my Lord, whose majestic name fills all the earth. I want you to go home and think about that. I want you to go home and have your own personal Saturday. Your own personal Saturday. A day of reflection. A day of uh, thinking about your priorities in life. This Easter season, take time. Take time to have a Saturday. Take time to have a day in between all the all the family and all the things that are going on, take time to have a day just to reflect for at least a few hours. A time to just reflect on God's majesty and his goodness and what he means to you personally in your heart. This Easter season, may God bless you richly with his message of unconditional love and sacrifice, and may God bless the Calvary Baptist Church and for all today and for all the days of the future, and may he allow each one of you to be victorious.